Okay. All right. Yay. Thank you, Lance. Okay, we're just going to dive in. Sound good? I've got you for 50 minutes. And basically, what, what we do at Halo, we work with kids who have experienced significant trauma. But one of the things that we've figured out in that journey is that as we helped children heal, one of the things that we constantly saw after like the deep emotional pieces that were um, kind of rectified when they would tell their stories of hurt and their stories of great pain, they could get to a place where the story itself didn't become this big trigger in the sense that they were feeling these, these big heavy emotions. And they would also get to the place where they could tell their story in a very cohesive manner. And in the world of trauma, when somebody can tell their story and it makes sense in cohesion, and you exhibit the right emotional reaction to telling your story, at that point, counselors like myself would say, okay, you have processed your trauma. You are good to go. You no longer need anything else from this counseling experience. Go be you. Well, what happened was there was a missing piece to that equation that we didn't realize until we started seeing it over and over and over again. And what we realized is that if anybody experiences any kind of suffering or any kind of trauma, they could get to a place where they can do that. But what they would often fail to do is figure out how that one experience was tied to how they viewed their own worth and value. They might start to think, well, this thing happened to me. Let's say in a case of extreme neglect. I was completely neglected, so therefore I don't matter. So I'm going to process that neglect, but at the end of it, I might be able to tell you what happened, why it happened, and have a decent amount of emotion with it, but I'm still walking the earth thinking that I don't matter, right? And so it's this idea of when we experience things, we sometimes end up in a place where we might experience low self-worth. And so low self-worth automatically is going to take away pieces of your identity because low self-worth is dependent upon lies that we believe, right? And so what we're going to do together is we're going to explore this concept of self-worth while also exploring your own unique identity and for our purposes in this room, who we are in Christ. Sound good? Are you guys game? We might feel some things today because we're not going to do a Band-Aid. If I'm going to be here, we're all going to do it. Tyler, is that okay? I saw your face. <laughs> I didn't mean to call you out. I just saw your face. So, um, Okay, so when it comes to our journey of the people in this room, we very much have three core things in common as believers. The first one is that we experience suffering. Up until this point in your life, if you have not experienced any kind of suffering, I have bad news for you because it's coming. Because we do not get through this world without it. We live in the world. We are not in heaven. Therefore, we will experience it and or see it in significant ways, just like Scotia talked about. It might be that my suffering is unique and different, but I will not get out of here without it. And so we all have that in common. The second thing that we have in common as humans and as believers is at some point in our life, we wanted to know who am I and what is my calling? I want to know who am I and what is my calling because I love the Lord. And if I can figure those things out, then I can go do what he asks me to do. But without having that purpose or calling, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing in this world and in this life. So at some point in your life, I guarantee all of you have asked those two central questions. And then the third thing is as believers, at some point in our life, we were also exposed to Christ. Somewhere, somehow, somebody taught you about Jesus. 
It could be church, it could be church camp, it could be your family of origin, it could be a friend, it could be a coach, it could be anybody. But at some point, you wouldn't know Jesus unless someone exposed you to Jesus, okay? That is part of our human journey. Now, if I'm born into the world and I have the presence of a safe, loving adult to mimic to me the image of Christ, then I will be able to manage those three things. I will be able to manage my suffering because I have a human anchor, especially when I'm a child, right? When I'm a child, the image of Christ is through the adults around me, right? That's who's showing that love to me, the love of Heavenly Father, right? So if I have the presence of a safe, loving adult as an infant, as a child growing up, then I could manage my suffering well. It didn't mean I didn't suffer. It just meant I had somebody there to anchor me through it, right? If I pondered those questions, who am I? What's my identity? What is my calling? That safe, loving adult who knew Christ would help me figure those things out throughout my growing up years, right? I would have a guide, a human guide, an earthly guide, right? And then the last one is that that person, that core person, is the one who taught me the love of Jesus. And in that, I have massive security, and I could manage this journey, okay? Does that all make sense so far? Okay. Oops, sorry, guys. I missed the slide. Um, so, so what happens, basically, when it comes to that journey? If I have that presence of a safe living result, I'm solid. If I don't, though, then what? What happens? If I have that presence of safe, loving adult and I learn about Christ, Christ becomes my identity, right? I am who God says I am. I'm a daughter of the king. That identity can be set. I'm defined. I'm strongly defined. But if I don't get it, who defines me? Anybody? Peers, the world, right? The world defines me, and how do they do it? Who do they say I am? Depends on who you're hanging around with right? But they're not saying I'm the same as who Christ says I am. I can assure you that, right? So the world is going to define me. And then I might figure out, well, in order for me to function in this world separate from the love of Christ, this world works on one thing, one thing very specific, performance. I perform well in this world, I get high definition. I perform low in this world, I get less than. I'm not noticed. So let me put all my energy into performing the best that I can so that I feel good enough to function in this world, right? What's interesting is that it's a giant lie because performance can never define my preciousness. My preciousness is defined by Christ. He says that I am precious and priceless, and I am precious and priceless simply because I'm human, right? It's not because I do something. And if I define my worth based upon my performance, what happens when I can't perform? What if I'm an Olympic athlete and I get injured and I no longer win gold? I'm a counselor. What if I don't counsel anymore? What if I have a bad day and my clients aren't feeling better? Does that mean that I'm less worthy, right? What if I'm the CEO, the entrepreneur who goes bankrupt or the CEO who retires? Am I not worthy anymore, right? So it's very important that we separate out these two things to understand our identities. Performance should be based upon your unique gifts and talents and something you do in the world because God asked you to, and he gave you unique gifts to do it. But it is not who you are, right? So I want us to explore that identity piece. 
it's really important to understand when it comes to self-worth. Self-worth is basically the belief in your own value. So if I have high self-worth, then I believe that I'm precious and priceless. And if I have low self-worth, I believe the opposite. And the opposite of high self-worth is actually shame. I believe that something's wrong with me, and that is what shame is. Something's wrong with me in this moment, therefore I feel shame. And people often get self-worth confused with self-esteem. So what in the world is self-esteem? Self-esteem is basically my belief in my ability to perform. So if I have high self-esteem and you give me a task, I feel confident that I could figure out the task and perform it well. I could have really high self-esteem and confidence in my ability to perform, but every day lay my head on the pillow at night and tell myself that I'm not good enough because those self-worth and self-esteem are not the same thing, right? And sometimes when I'm talking, especially to a group of believers, and I start talking about self-worth, they will often shoot back at me and say, well, Cindy, aren't we supposed to die to self? And I said, well, yes, except for there's this one caveat to that in that God made you, and why would you kill off something God created? Right? I know that sounds weird, but what happens is that we are supposed to die to self in service of others, but we're not supposed to negate self. And I think of, when I think about this, I think about Mother Teresa. Did Mother Teresa know her value? Uh, yes. Did she negate herself to do what she was called to do? No. Did she self-sacrifice every day? 100%. But she didn't sacrifice self in the sense that we think about ego, right? She, she said no to ego. And when I think about um, Christians going, well, I can't love myself, I'm like, that, I don't think that that's true. I think you can love yourself because God is asking you to and he created you. So you can't love every other human on earth and say that he, you're the one he messed up on. You're the only human on earth that doesn't deserve love. What people and often in Christian communities will come back with is like, but no, Cindy, we're supposed to be humble and, and, and die to self. And I'm like, yes, we are, but what we're dying to is ego. I'm not going to die to God's creation within me. That would be stupid, right? I want to die to ego. I want to die to flesh. I want to die to the things in the world that he doesn't, he doesn't have for me, that I don't need, or that distract me from the things that he's asking me to do. Right? But I want to offer that love of self in such a way that I can understand it enough to offer it back out. Right? Does that make sense? The difference between self-worth, self-esteem, and ego? Is everyone okay loving themselves or does that freak you out? Is it okay? We can accept that we're worthy of love of self without it being weird? Okay, so we already talked about who defines us in the world. Obviously, um, for our purposes, we're going to talk about identity from this perspective of who God says we are. And um, it's interesting, too, when we ponder those questions of identity and purpose or purpose and calling, um, people often think that their calling is what they're supposed to do. And I get, I get a little bit hem, hemmed up on that because I think that like, if I'm sitting between two people, um, believers, and we're talking about calling, and one says, well, I was called to go to Africa and serve as a missionary, and another one owns a pet shop, and there's like, well, I was called to own a pet shop. It seems like we might pay more attention to the one that's called to Africa or think that that's more of a calling or calling to be in ministry 
or to serve um, those that are hurting, when that's actually me saying, well, that someone's potential calling might be more valuable than somebody else's, and does it mean that the pet store owner doesn't then have a calling? Why can't it just be the entrepreneurship piece that they've picked? Or any profession for that matter, pick one. When we think about calling, we don't think about some of the other professions, right? He talked this morning about the good job, okay? The non-good jobs are people called to do those non-good jobs. Think about just your own bias there when you think about that. And do we make somebody lower when we think about the non-good jobs and how they might not be called, that only the few are called to do the things that are spiritual? It doesn't really make sense, right? So if we break down this idea of identity and calling, what we want to do is look at this scripture specifically, 1 Corinthians. I know you guys have all seen this. In the Bible, it's talking about how we're created in God's image. If, I, if I'm just walking the streets and I go up to people and I say, are you created in God's image? If they're believers, they will say yes. And if I say, well, what does that mean? They'll start limit, listing out aspects of God, right? And then I'll say, well, how do, you, how do you give that out into the world? How are you walking in that like Christ? How are you walking like Christ out in the world? Like, oh, I mess up on that love thing all the time or Oh, that patience thing is so hard. Self-control, right? People get confused here. And if we don't really know our identity in Christ or our calling in Christ, one of the things that we might fall into is distraction. Because after all, I could spend 10 or 20 years trying to figure out what I'm called to do. If I already know it, then I can just go do it, right? So for our purposes, what we're going to be talking about is we're just going to go ahead and answer these two, two questions based on Scripture. So the first one is, who am I? Who, what is our actual identity? We all share the same one in this room. I'm a daughter of the king. That is who I am. That is my identity. That is it. Nothing else. Right? I might add, I could add that I'm a human. Right? But I'm a daughter of the king. That's it. Who's Cindy Lee? She's a daughter of Christ. And that's what I want out into the world. That's what I want to be remembered for. Nothing else, no performance. But that is my identity and that is yours, right? That is who you are. So once we know that, I don't think you could argue with me. You could try. But once we know that, that piece is done. I don't have to search for it anymore. And it's interesting because in these moments of doubt or these moments where... Um, like I'm walking into a space that I've never been before, it's new, or I'm being asked to take a risk that's hard, and I start to go through the tapes of like, do I belong here? Should I be here? What's happening? I know I belong wherever God puts me, right? So when I have to, when I start to get those things, I have to remember, no, 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 I am a daughter of the, the king. All that other stuff is just noise. I'm going to show up and be the daughter. Right? That's it. I don't have to perform. I don't have to say the right thing. I can say the wrong thing, even up here. And I'm okay. You guys might talk about me later, and that's all right. But when I lay my head on the pillow, God will say, good job, you tried. <laughs> Maybe next time say. Right? But he, he can do that. He gets to do that. Right? Um, so our identity is set. So the next big one is this, who, who, what is my calling thing? It is actually quite simple as well. And basically, we are all called to love as he loves. That is it. 
So if I am a counselor and I say my calling is to be a counselor, so when I'm at Walmart checking out my groceries, I don't have to do any calling. I could be Cindy Grumpy Grump. I don't have to love the person checking me out because I did my calling from eight to, to five. I'm off duty. I'm not called to check out a certain way, right? It doesn't matter what I do. Whoever God puts in front of me is who he calls me to love. It doesn't matter who they are, right? It doesn't matter. He is saying, Cindy, I'm putting this person in front of you. Love them. That's it. That is all I have to do. My calling will never change. From the moment I am born to the moment I die, I am a daughter of the king to love others the way that he loves me. And everything I do on any given moment has to be within that. And anything outside of that is not designed for me. It's a distraction, right? It's something else. So no matter what we do, that is our calling. And once we know our identity and our calling, then the next piece is always, but Cindy, you're saying that we're exactly the same. Yes, we have the same identity and we have the same calling. And Jesus made that really clear. But we are all little snowflakes, right? And he gave us all extreme unique gifts and talents. And that's where he says, I gave you that thing. You need to use it. I gave it to you. It is for you, for my purpose. You are my son. You are my daughter. I need you to love this world the way I want this world to be loved. And I gave you this talent what are you going to do with it? And that's where we all get to exercise our gifts and talents. And those things change over time. And we all have multiple ones of those. So if we're thinking about vocation, and we want to figure out what we're supposed to do for vocation, we need to be looking at our gifts and talents. But in the time that I'm trying to figure it out, I might start this company or this company or this company, or go to this job, this job, this job, all the while, I'm still loving every single person he puts in front of me. I'm not waiting for the next thing to live out what he's asking me to do. I'm loving everyone the whole time. And then I'm going to explore where my unique gifts and talents are best used. Does that make sense to everybody? Are we good? Are you guys okay? Anyone want to challenge me? <laughs> 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 no, I got the power, the God Almighty up here. I was, um, I, I'm very interested in the concept of power, and I do study that um, for our purposes because a lot of trauma comes with abuse of power. And so studying it helps me understand some of the things that happen to the people that I love and the people that God puts in front of me. And so I thought it would be smart to read this book about power, which I will not name, and some of you might know what it's called, but there's like some laws of power. If you've heard of it, don't Google, don't read the book. Um, but in it, it talked about basically every, it's telling somebody how to gain power in the world, this book is. And there's 48 ways that it tells you to gain power in the world. And I got it and I was like, okay, I wanna see how I can take this knowledge and teach it to people who need to use it for protective factors. And it just started, every single thing was anti-scripture. Every single thing, every single thing that it said about power 
went against everything about identity. It went against everything about authenticity. It was about creating a false self for the sole purpose of success and power, which is just a big giant lie and trap. It almost, I actually got stomach ache reading the book. I finally just decided to read the first paragraph and do what I needed to do with the book because it made me so sick. But I was talking to my daughter about the book and uh, we were just talking about how big of a lie and a trap it is because we don't need, we don't, as, as believers, we don't need power. The, the, it's already there in abundance for us. We don't need to seek power or position. As a matter of fact, if you find yourself seeking power and position, I would stop yourself and really think about that because, because our God has gone for us and he clears and opens every single door. We do not have to be hunting down power and position. We are servants to the king. He is the ultimate power. He will open any door that, we, that he desires that's good for us. We never need to seek power. And if you are ever seeking power, it is a trap. Right? He decides. We don't need to decide. It's an ultimate lie. Right? Does that make sense? And that's hard for us as leaders and entrepreneurs because we think power should be part of it, but only the servant's heart. My power only lies in, in my service. Right? I don't ever have to gain it, try to seek it, or try to be in a specific position. If God wants me there, he'll put me there. What I have to do as an entrepreneur and a leader is work. I work really hard, as I do all of you. And I think just a word of caution there is that I do practice the Sabbath because I don't think that I could work as much as I do without it. So it's a really important piece. But I work, and I, allow, I say yes, and I allow God to open those doors. Right? I don't need power in any way. I just need to work. Does that make sense? Sorry, I got on a little ta tangent there because I recently read that book. Um, okay. So let's talk about this self-worth piece because it's so wrapped up in our identity because if we do not know our worth, we are negating our identity, right? If I walk in low self-worth, I'm saying I'm calling God a liar because low self-worth says that I'm not good enough and he says that I am, right? So if I have any feelings of low self-worth, I'm negating who he says that I am, okay? So I want to explain this because most humans walking the earth have some element of low self-worth, even entrepreneurs, right? I'm not, I'm not calling out any names. <laughs> but it's, it, you know, if you're successful in the business field or the nonprofit work field, it can be a distraction because we, again, like I said, can say my worth is because of what I created, right? Which isn't true. So again, if I went up to anybody on the street and I said, okay, how is self-worth formed in the first place? How do we get it? Nobody is going to know how to answer that question. Do you guys know how to answer that question? So this is where I'm going to bring some science in, right? I'm going to bring some science into the scripture pieces. So here's basically what happens. When we are born, we are given one voice. What is it? What do babies do? They cry, and they cry a lot, 150 to 200,000 times in the first two years of life, right? That is a lot of crying, so that's a lot of meeting needs. When a baby cries, what does their caregiver do? Uh, what now? <laughs> Not that. <laughs> that's how they do it. <laughs> <That's, laughs> 
That's how they don't get the, the self-worth piece. <laughs> I met with you today, so I knew you were kidding. Um, you might say it, but you're still going to go. How's that? Like, we might say it, but we're still going to go. We're going to go. We're going to meet, meet the infant's need. We become detectives. Are you too hot? Are you too cold? Are you sad? Are you hungry? Do you have a wet diaper? What do you need, right? And when the caregiver comes, when the baby says, wah, and the need is met, time and time and time again, 150 to 200,000 times, that little baby's sitting over there going, huh, you mean all I have to do is go wan? I can control the giant human and every single one of my needs are met? This is so cool. I love the earth. <laughs> right? Baby cries, caregiver comes, and that baby's sitting there going, you know, they see me, they hear me. I must have value. I must be valuable. Right? Now, what happens, though, there's a second part of this equation, and I love, I love how God did this because it's not just about us being humans walking the earth being needy creatures. We are very needy creatures, and he wants us to depend on him to meet those needs, but he also gave us this other part of this master equation, and it is such that infants, one of the things they do when their needs are met, they will start to explore creative expression. And one of the ways an infant does this for the very first time is through a smile. Oh my goodness, what happens when a baby smiles at you? Not Kyle. <laughs> oh, I'm a, what do we do? We smile back. And what does the baby do? Smiles back. We're delighting in the infant. The infant's like, oh. This is a whole new world. And they explore all kinds of different creative expressions, right? Different ways that they move, different facial expressions, blowing bubbles, all kinds of stuff. And the caregivers are like, wah, getting their iPhones, look. And the baby's like, all I did was smile, right? And in that moment, that baby's being delighted in. And they know, they see me, they hear me, therefore, I must have value. And that is how a human comes to know their worth and value, if they get that type of caregiving, right? Now, let's say that little Sally got that type of caregiving. She's solid, she knows her worth, she knows her value, and little Sally is venturing off to public school kindergarten. And it's the first day, she's out on the playground doing her little Sally thing, and Johnny comes over and says, Sally, you're so stupid. And Sally's like, hmm, that's, that's new, okay. And Sally goes home, not having the best first day of kindergarten, and goes to her caregiver and says, Johnny called me stupid on the playground, Mom. Mom says, Sally, I am so sorry that happened to you, sweetheart. You are so smart, and we love you so much. And Sally's like, okay. I believe you, because I trust you, and you think I'm cool. So Sally goes back to kindergarten the next day. She's on the playground. Johnny comes up and says, you're so stupid, Sally. And Sally's like, huh, and walks off, right? But Sally's got self-worth completely intact. But what happens when Sally doesn't tell her caregiver? So she doesn't go to mom, and she doesn't tell mom what happened, right? 
If she doesn't tell mom what happened, mom doesn't get the opportunity to rectify the lie because what's happening is Johnny is having a bad day and he's loading a lie onto Sally that she's not smart enough, that she's stupid. If Sally does not get that lie rectified and she goes back to school the next day, and let's say today is coloring day and Sally keeps going outside the lines, what might go through her head? I'm not smart enough. I'm stupid. I must be stupid. Now think about that for a moment. That's a five-year-old little girl named Sally who got one lie from an upset Johnny on the playground. Sally carrying that lie that doesn't get rectified will show up the next day in coloring and the next week in the next activity and in math class and when she decides to go out for debate or when she gets to um, college and decides that she's not going to go for higher education, right? And then when she gets in a job and someone sounds smart sitting next to her because they use a lot of big words, she shrinks. One lie. I ask, I'm super curious, how many lies do you guys feel like you've been exposed to up until this point in your life? And it's, it, I hate to say it, but it is worse today with social media, right? Okay. I'm not sure. I'm just going to skip it, Natanya. We can keep going without it. Maybe show the, the next one, and then I'll, I'll go from here without it. Except it's showing back there, but not up here. That's okay. I'll just keep going. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to do an activity with this pretty quick. Because if I believe a lie, I'm negating identity. God says I'm precious and priceless. If I believe that I'm not good enough, then I am not able to fully walk out my identity. And for our purposes here in Cultivate, that's going to interfere with my ability to do redemptive entrepreneurship. Because if I cannot see and live out my own value, I will not be able to see it clearly in other people. It is when I know my own value that I see very clearly the value in every other single human being. And I cannot say that I am not good enough and then go love everybody else to my potential. I can't. I just can't. Right? And so what I'd like for us to do is explore the lies for a second, and then I want you to pick one that you feel like you might believe, and we're going to do some funky therapy with it. Sound good? To see if we can get rid of it. So are we good? Okay. So here's just some of them. There's about 35. These are the common ones. So I want you to look at this list. Oops. Look at this list and see if there's anything up here that you feel like that you believe currently or have believed in the past. And I want you to pick one that we're going to try to get rid of in 20 minutes. <laughs> okay, does everyone have one? And if it's not one you currently believe, it can be one that you believed in the past. Okay? All right. When I say that the, 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 the way that self-worth is formed in the world, which is what I explained to you, if we didn't get that type of caregiving, that we didn't start the world with it, we were defined by the world, which means we were not defined by Christ, right? And so if we're defined by the world, we do believe lies. 
There's no getting around it. We do. Um, so sometimes people say, well, that's great how it was formed science-wise, God-wise as an infant. I'm now 50 years old, right? What am I supposed to do now? How do I get self-worth now at 50, right? At 45, at 30, at 25, at 70, whatever age we are. It's the same formula. We have to find a way to get our needs met. As believers, Heavenly Father is going to meet those needs. But we also have to be delighted in guess what? I could have the best friend in the world. I could have somebody that loves me so much, but if I tell myself that I'm not good enough, when they offer that love to me, I don't receive it. I don't believe them, right? You cannot delight in me if I both think and believe that I'm not good enough. It's only when I know that I'm okay that you can delight in me, right? So the only way I get self-worth as an adult is to get rid of the lies. That's the only way I get to be free in my identity. Okay, does that make sense? All right, does everyone have one to work on? As entrepreneurs, do you take risks? With money, do you take risks with your emotions? So are you game to take a little risk right now? Jared, you wanna help me facilitate so you don't have to take the risk? Okay, no, we're gonna try something. So what we're gonna do, I'm gonna ask you guys to close your eyes and we're gonna do a guided visualization, okay? It'll be okay, I promise. It's in your head. Everyone's eyes will be closed. No one's watching you except me, but I'm not really. Go with it, it'll be all right. It'll be okay, okay? You can put your heads down if, it's, if it feels more comfortable and safe. All right, we're just gonna relax the system. We're gonna try to unload one of these lies. So what I would like for you to do is just take a deep breath in and we're going to bring Jesus in here. Deep breath out. Another deep breath in. Deep breath out. And then we're just going to relax the system. So we're going to kind of just start at the top of our heads and just relax any tension that you might be feeling at the top of your head. Just allow that to continue down through the muscles in your face. Relax your face and your ears. Just continue down to your upper shoulders and just relax any tension that you might have there. We carry so much there. We're just going to continue down through our arms. Just relax your upper arms, your elbows, your lower arms, your wrists the tops of your hands, the palms of your hands. And just push any tension you might be feeling out through your fingertips. And we're just gonna come back to our neck and we're gonna relax the front, just relax your chest and your tummy. And we're gonna move to the very top of your spine. Just slowly move down your back relaxing any tension as you go. And we'll keep moving down through the tops of our legs, our knees, our calves, our ankles, the tops of your feet, bottoms of your feet, 
just push any tension you might be feeling out through your toes. And then what I'd like for you to do is just mentally inside your mind, what I'd like for you to do is make your authentic self, the authentic self that God created in you, as strong and as powerful as you can. And while you're making your authentic self strong, I want you to focus on staying calm, compassionate, and courageous. And then the next thing I'd like for you to do is you're just going to kind of scan around, starting kind of at the top of your head, and see if you can find any area of your body where you feel like this lie is trying to get your attention. And don't worry if you're not 100% sure. Just see if there's anywhere in your body that's drawing your attention. And then once you find that spot, what I'd like for you to do is just really focus on it. Get curious about it. It's all your wisdom there. And then as you're focused on it, what I'd like for you to do is imagine standing in front of you, the younger version of you that carries this lie. They could be a very small child. They could be a teenager. They could be an adult. And as you observe this younger version of yourself, just take a moment to see how they are looking. Think about how they're presenting and feeling. And then what I'd like for you to do, just mentally inside your mind, I'd like for you to approach this younger version of yourself, but in such a way that the most loving parent would do. And as you approach them, go ahead and get their attention. And what I'd like for you to do is tell them how old you are now and tell them a few good things about your life. I'll just give you a moment to do that. Most often when we reintroduce ourselves to potentially younger versions inside of our mind, they are often surprised at how old you are and what you've been doing. And then what I'd like for you to do is go ahead and tell this younger version of you that you're there to help them. That you're there to take away the burden they've been carrying that they no longer need to believe the lie. And then what I'd like for you to do is just imagine somewhere between you and this younger version, some form of an empty container or box. And what I'd like for you to do is just mentally remove all the pain and hurt from this younger version and from yourself 
and go ahead and put it into the box and I'll give you just a moment to do that. Just go ahead and make make sure you get it all. And then what I'd like for you to do is go ahead and close up the box and ask this younger version how they would like to get rid of the box. Do they want to burn it, bury it, throw it into the ocean? Whatever they'd like to do, go ahead and destroy the box with them. once the box is destroyed, go ahead and take this younger version of you to a safe place. And this safe place could be something you're familiar with. It could be a fictional space, the beach, the mountains. And go ahead and go there now. Once you get here, I'd like for you to just enjoy the sights and the sounds for a minute. Take up kind of the space that you're in and look around. And as you're looking around, you'll notice whether you're outside or inside, there's a giant mirror. And what I'd like for you to do is walk yourself in this younger version to the mirror. And imagine Jesus standing behind both of you, looking into the mirror with you. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to begin to write words on the mirror that identify and define who you are. And as he writes the words on the mirror, I want you to mentally absorb them in yourself and help this younger version absorb the truth of who God says you are. I'm just going to give you a moment to do that. These words are special just for you. Just allow that truth to sink in. Allow his love to sink in. And just take a moment to offer gratitude to him any way that you'd like. And then what I'd like for you to do is turn to this younger version again. And tell them how much you love them. Tell them you're sorry that you left them. And then just go ahead and ask them, 
now that they don't want, have to carry this burden anymore, what do they want to do? Sometimes our younger versions are exhausted and they want to rest. And sometimes they want to play. Go ahead and ask them if they want to rest, go ahead and tuck them in the way a loving caregiver would. And if they want to play, go ahead and play with them. I'm going to give you just a moment to do that. And just go ahead and tell them that you'll be back to check on them. And just take as much time as you need. And when you're ready, go ahead and open your eyes. It always takes a minute to orient back to this space because you've been hanging out inside your mind, so we're just going to give it one quick minute. And I know after this, you guys are going into small groups to talk about the homework assignment that you've done, but also it's a great space to talk about this portion of the day and what you experienced with your eyes closed. And thank you for their courage. That was kind of a trap, but I knew that it was a good one. The lies we will carry, and the reason we can carry them, and we can carry them till, till, our, till our death, and the reason that we can carry them is because we're okay. We have advanced coping for the lies. We're still high-functioning adults. We still get our kids fed. We ace the test. We start the business. We go to work. We do all the things. We are okay. But we are not living the way that God is asking us to live because we can't believe both at the same time, right? We just can't. And there's reasons why, too. Like sometimes people say, Cindy, I, how did I and why did I carry these lies for so, for so long? And why wouldn't you? I gave the example of Sally. A lot of these lies are given to us through experiences that have occurred in our childhoods. They all came from somewhere else, right? They came from somebody else's reality that was given to us, somebody else's idea of something, somebody else's unleashed pain, right? It was given to us from somebody else. What happens is then we just figure out how to deal with it, right? And we live our lives dealing with it. And it's hard for us to even imagine a life without it. Matter of fact, sometimes when we do this work in the deepest level, people start to get scared because they're like, I've lived with this for so long. It's, it's just a thing. Like, what would life be like? And that's kind of scary to think about what would happen. As believers, we would walk in who he's calling us to be. We would be unstoppable. And I feel like the world needs that. He needs, this world needs us to be fully grounded in who he says we are because it's a, it's a mess. And now, granted, I'm on the front lines. I have a very skewed view of the world because of the work that I do. But if I'm on the front lines, 
I need a bigger army. We all need a bigger army, right? So if you believe the lies, it's not like you can just say, oh, I think I'll stop believing that today. That's like the just do it Nike mentality, right? I can't willpower my way through a lie. That's why I had you guys close your eyes and do something deeply internal and hopefully Jesus showed up for you and you had an experience with that. But in order for us to unload the lies, those are the type, we can't just decide not to anymore. I can't just decide I'm smart enough one day, right? We have to actually do some work with it. So my challenge would be for you guys to, if you believe some of the lies, to start that journey a little bit and see how you can start to move through some of that and get rid of those. Of course, we can help you guys at Halo, but just start, start that journey to be the best version of you that God created you to be. And 